Today's episode of the Ringer NBA show on the Ringer Podcast Network is brought to you by State Farm. Just like basketball, the game of life is unpredictable. Talk to a State Farm agent and get a teammate who can help you navigate the unexpected and help you handle whatever life throws your way. Uh, you know, I think that the people of Portland probably did not expect Carmelo Anthony to be a trailblazer. Here we are. Yeah, now he's blazing a path to the playoffs. I Well, we'll see. <laughs> I, I do think, do, one thing I was wondering, do you think that Melo, like, would you ever have imagined, like, Carmelo feels like, like he felt like a rocket. He felt like a Nick. You know, I don't know if he felt like a Nugget, but I, I I appreciated it. He's back in the in the mid in like the kind of Rocky Mountain climbs. I guess Portland's more of a Northwest thing. Life life's wild sometimes, right. and uh, you got to get a teammate who can help you navigate the unexpected. Talk to a State Farm agent today about combining your home and auto insurance. Basketball is very good. The Spurs should shoot more mid-range jumpers. More players should have Trey Young's hairstyle. The Utah Jazz name actually makes sense. Basketball is very good. Hello and welcome to the Ringer NBA show. It's with Justin Verrier. Hello, friends. And I'm Chris Ryan and we will be joined by Jonathan Sharks shortly. JV, what's up? It's raining in Los Angeles. It's Wednesday morning. I thrive in yeah. the monsoon season. It's Christmas. like we've all become Portland. Right. <laughs> it's all we've all become. We're all going. We're going to talk about the Blazers and the return of Melo. Uh, we're going to talk about Luka Doncic's MVP run that he is on right now and whether or not that's real or not. KOC has a really good piece on the ringer today that asks that very question about he asked that about lots of different things in the NBA, but he addresses the Luka MVP debate. I think Steiny Mo is on the Bill Simmons podcast. He's back. Uh, talking about Luka. So Luka's in the news. He's our public consciousness, but we're going to start off group chat from from you know we like to we like to come from a place of personal personally held beliefs and what we believe in passionately, and uh, you know my personally held belief this week it's more of of an apology. I feel like I have to address something on this podcast. This is this is big. Uh, as some of you may know, I appear uh, semi frequently on a um, podcast called The Hottest Take, which is on Spotify, and it's usually like five or six minutes, and it's like. Ringer staffers sharing their hottest takes and then people yell at each other. And last week I appeared on a, or this week it was aired, but I, last week I recorded a podcast with Bill Simmons, Joe House, and Roger Sherman, in which Bill Simmons said, uh, What's the deal with music at NBA arenas? Why do we keep playing in the club and everybody clap your hands and this incessant noise? And it's like, Can't we get past this? And then I, I think, got even more militant and was like, Stop playing music. Let the, let the symphony of basketball be the soundtrack to your experience. Interesting. I'd like to apologize for that. <laughs> Last night, I went to the second of back-to-back Staples Center nights from me, which is quite quite a journey. Okay. And I went and saw Lakers Thunder. And I was, you know, I went as a civilian. So I was seated in, in just the regular seats with, with the Lakers faithful. And uh, about five minutes into the game, the foul was called and Chris Paul had some thoughts on the foul call. And the guy right in front of me just screamed out, Shut the fuck up, CP3, you little ass trick! <laughs> and I was like, you know what? I can see why we have music now. <laughs> I was not expecting this at all. I expected you to launch into a Ben Simmons rant. And Nobody so I'm gonna shit about my Ben Simmons thoughts. I have a Ben Simmons thing completely prepared. Uh, but I did want to just say, um, I don't want to do an LA thing, but I just was like, Lakers fans, man. <laughs> yeah. You guys still got your fastball. Congratulations. Oh and and you know what? You're really feeling it. 
And it was a very impressive victory last night. I got to see AD and LeBron in the, in the, uh, for the first time live together. And LeBron looks phenomenal. Le- LeBron looks looks like friggin' MVP Adrian Peterson out there right now. Like <laughs> right. like his fast breaks were in amazing. Yeah. Uh, he, they 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 look like a really competent basketball team. So so my apologies for saying you guys were going to go to five and ten. Uh, my apologies for suggesting that we stop playing Kesha and Fifty Cent incessantly during NBA games because I, I remembered why. <laughs> I think the Lakers among all arenas, like they do the best job of pumping in the music because they also have a mix, I think since LeBron, of like playing West Coast specifically yes. rap, yes. but also weaving in the history of playing the organ and playing songs on Yeah, that. TDE was like, Top Dog was sitting right next to the bench. They were Wait, playing, this is, the, the guy who runs Kendrick's label, Top Dog. I have Dog. no idea who this is. And like, it just felt very like, the like Staples Center was back a little bit, like yeah. like that, like that Fortress Lakers thing was back. Um, my my deeply held personal belief about the Ben Simmons thing was just that like Ben Simmons is not the problem here. Mm. Um, <laughs> you just want to bury that? No, I think this is going to be a theme of the entire pod though, because I, I you know I think like we're about, almost about fifteen games in, and I think we're doing a lot of like, you know, are we surprised by this? Are we should we panic about that? Is there anxiety about this? What are we impressed by? What's real? But. I was thinking a lot about like how much turnover there's been over the summer, the era of player movement, everything we always say, and watching that play itself out. And I, I think that there was on display. It's been on display for the Sixers because I think for as much as like Ben Simmons is not taking any three-pointers this year, so I'm going to lose our bet, I bet. The bet you and I have about how many attempts he has this year. It's 20, tough. 25. It's tough. I, I'm really <laughs> pressing the under there. Um a lot of it, I think also like when Ben Simmons is on the floor, as Ben Dietrich did, did a whole thread about this on Twitter, when Ben Simmons is on the floor and he is not playing with Kylo Quinn or Matthias Theibel, like the Sixers offensive rating is very high. Mm-hmm. Like he runs a good offense. But the real thing is probably A, he should probably not be the point guard, even though he is a generational talent when it comes to passing. And B, it's not like he's surrounded by a lot of shooters. And I was thinking about like the way the Sixers put their team together and the the gambit that they're making to be enormous and a defensive juggernaut and clogging the lane and basically being a a Giannis stopping team, which is essentially what I think that they're built for. But there are going to be regular season games where they just look like shit and they're still learning how to play with each other. And I think a lot of teams are. So I wanted to talk a little bit about that over the course of the pod. I know you have some deeply held personal beliefs about another team that had a lot of roster turnover. Yeah. So the Mellow Bowl was last night. Yeah. He's back, guys. Yeah. He's back in our lives. Uh, Apparently, that was like a major thing for people. People were like, It was. Like, let's get, like, I didn't know that, like, we were missing Mellow. Well, it's funny because when we we do this list now before every season where it's the X number of things that we think are going to define the season. Oh, yeah. And I I put it in front of a couple staff writers. I want to get their opinion on it. want to make sure I wasn't missing anything, especially some of the more granular stuff that guys like Charks, for instance, uh, are good at. Yeah. And he sees Mello and he's like, get that out of there. Really? I didn't, like, Mello's not going to be a thing. Yeah. I'm sorry, Charks. Mello is back and that's what everybody wants to talk about. Uh, unfortunately, my deeply held personal belief is that this is not going to work out. Uh, I don't think it was a real encouraging start for Mello. Uh, obviously, his first game back, I don't think he even had a full shoot around. It was in New Orleans, wasn't even in Portland. So, Damian Lillard did not play, so mm-hmm. they started Anthony Simons and this ragtag kind of crew. Back spasms, yeah. And so it was hardly just like the optimal environment for him to come back. 
but I thought it was interesting that it happened against the Pelicans, a team that is kind of progressive in the way it wants to play. It's playing, especially now because of injuries, a lot of uh, guys out of position. Kendrick Williams was Mel's counterpoint at the four position, and the Pelicans want to run. They want to shoot threes. They want to do all this other thing. Yeah, they look good with Jackson Hayes on the, on the floor last night. But Melo is now moving to the four, something that we've been waiting from him for so long. He, he just had to wait for basketball to change. He exactly. didn't want to change. He just needed, he needed so, basketball to change. So out of, uh, I don't know if they're going to keep him there long term, but for now, he is their starting four. And it's almost like even now he's still two years too late because the guy on the opposite end of the floor is basically like built like a beefy two. Yeah. And so that sort of theme. So now Melo has to play five. <laughs> right. I mean, I don't know. <laughs> he's probably better than Whiteside. Uh, yeah, the guys that they're throwing out there, Scalabus uh as well. And so I think that was the theme throughout the night where it was like Melo looks a step behind. Mm-hmm. And I'm not sure how he's ever going to catch up to that. What a strange turn of events. So what what this got announced on Friday? Yeah, that sounds right. And he starts on Tuesday in his right. first game back in about a year. Uh-huh. When he'd only played like a few games for the Rockets. They got rid of him and then and now he's back and he's immediately in the starting lineup, which I think probably speaks as much to how how uh uncertain Portland is about like what they've got on their hands. Um what a weird ragtag group of people, group of guys and you know, I wonder whether or not this is just a Band-Aid, you know? I mean, Neil Olshay has not been like, we fixed it, we got Mello. Mm-hmm. What, a, what a sign. I mean, I think he knows, like, this is a guy who was, like, lingering around the, the fringes of the league. And we felt like we could take a run at him and whatever. It's just going to be all positive. It's a non-guaranteed deal. Zach Collins is out. Like, we don't have anybody who can stretch the floor at all or take some of the scoring burden off of Damon CJ. We just need somebody out there. Yeah, it seems like he's throwing darts, uh, especially as teams wait for December 15th when a lot of the guys who were signed over the summer are now trade eligible. So right. there is this weird limbo period where uh, it's just way more complicated to in order to like m- make a big trade. Perhaps that is the ultimate destiny for the Blazers, but right now they just kind of have to make do. Uh, I'm a little concerned that Carmel Anthony is their approach to that. Uh, because I just don't know if he helps them specifically where they need help, which is on the defensive end. Mm-hmm. I think like if they can figure out Damon CJ and just kind of uh, entrust them to carry the offense, they just need to figure out the defense and specifically the front court. Uh, but Melo is just, man, I don't know. It was his first game, so I don't want to like completely like obliterate him, but he was just careless in a yeah. lot of different ways. He just looked old, like careless fouls. Uh, he got stripped by Jackson Hayes like early on. And I'm like, oh my God. Yeah. Like this is what he's going to be up against all the time now. And I just don't know if he's suited for an NBA where like him at the five is not like outrageous as just a thought experiment. Well, you know, it's funny it, when I was watching it and I know, I know how old Melo is. I know how long he's been playing. I know that some of his contemporaries, even guys who are older than him are still in the league. But, you know, one of the tropes you hear a lot, especially from the pundit class of NBA guys in terms of the guys are on TV, is like this, well, if they were playing in my day, right, like back when we had hand-checking and Anthony Mason would break your clavicle if you tried to get a layup. Mm -hmm. Watching Melo last night was a little bit of like what it would be like if guys from like the 90s had to play today. (laughs) A little (laughs) bit, You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, Melo is at his best 
when he's just posting up and shooting over guys. If you looked at all of like the highlight reels they were playing on Instagram where he was in these New York runs, a lot of it was just him like rubbing his back into people and then just jolting off of them and then shooting over them somehow. And throwing Julius Randle on the hibachi. (laughs) Right. And so like, I just don't know how many of those opportunities he's going to get when you have guys like Damon CJ who are just accomplished offensive players who are going to need the ball. I think Melo has always needed the ball to operate at his best, or at the very least, he thinks he does. uh, And that's why he's had such a difficult time transitioning now. I mean... We'll see again. Like, I do wonder if he gets more spot up attempts, if they use him more in the pick and roll. That was one thing I saw specifically where it was like, oh, Melo used his size specifically when they put Frank Jackson on him to start the second quarter. And it was like, he rubbed him and he got to the rim and he looked good that way. Right. But he will need to play like that. And that is a more physical style of basketball, which A, is he suited to that coming off the street? And B, is he suited to that just mentally considering like where he thinks he is as a player? Is there a 2019-20 Dwight Howard version of this mellow on the Blazers? Like the, I yeah. do exactly what you need me to do for the amount of time you need me. And at least just optically watching the Lakers last night and watching Dwight, I was like, it seems like he is like applauding his teammates, lifting guys up off the ground, not crying when he doesn't get a post-up look. Like, Everything is deflections, blocks, rebounds, and flushes. Yep. Like, you know, everything Dwight's doing is additive. Uh, and he seems like he has at least the narrative, especially that the Lakers are pushing, because you could see on the Jumbotron they were like advertising for the infectious energy of Dwight Howard, like a, a Spectrum TV Lakers like <laughs> mini doc. Right. Uh, is there a version of that for Mello? Is there a version where he's like the wise? 14 points in 18 minutes, guy. It could be there. Uh, I think Dwight, it was easier for him to do it from just a a gameplay standpoint because he does things that theoretically just don't involve like giving it to him in the post. Yeah. Dwight is a like elite rebounder throughout his entire career and he can still do that. He can still block shots. He's not as good as he used to be, but he could still move a little bit. Uh, and he was humbled to the point where he was willing to do that. Melo, in theory, is at that point in his career. Mm-hmm. I just don't know specifically what role he would fit in order to alleviate the concerns the Blazers have now. The one role he definitely fits in is, a, is as a catch-and-shoot three-point shooter. But uh, is he is he going to want to do that specifically? I think that's still up in the air. Well, this is the difference between asset accumulation and team building. Dwight is a filling a very very specific need for the, the Lakers. They needed front court depth. They needed somebody who would selflessly play center and not be like, I, you know, like basically like we have the best big man in the NBA. You just need to make it so that he doesn't have to play down low all the time. Yeah. And that's what he's doing for Anthony Davis. Uh, Dwight can also play like five in the second unit with Rondo. And like, it was kind of interesting watching the Lakers stagger their guys last night because it was like, LeBron and AD at various points, but they were doing the Lakers thing of like one of LeBron and AD was usually on the floor. Mm -hmm. Now, I just was like mesmerized by like how seamlessly Dwight seemed to do all this stuff that Davis is like, I can do it, but just don't make me do it every night. Um, And they are a really intimidating four or five combo in terms of of room protection. I don't know what Mello does for the Blazers. You know, it seems like the Blazers... And we can bring Sharks in for this, but the Blazers are kind of a minor tragedy in not keeping the continuity that they had. And I don't know that we necessarily 
understood the the extent to which like having a Minu Harkless Turner and the guys who had been on that team for a few years and getting rid of all of them and replacing them with Anthony Simons and Scal and Hazonia and Mello mm-hmm. is a real downgrade. And I understand why they had to do it, but I have a major question about why they had to do it. And we should bring Sharkson to talk about this. We're going to get to Jonathan Sharks in just a second, but first a quick word from our sponsor, The Ringer NBA Show is brought to you by FanDuel Sportsbook. Now available in New Jersey, Pennsylvania, West Virginia, and Indiana, FanDuel Sportsbook wants to know what you'd bet on if you knew you couldn't lose. All right, so Verrier. Yeah. You can't lose. Mm-hmm. What's what's a risky bet that might pay off? <sighs> this is a tough one. We're going to talk MVP a little bit later with Sharks, but here's a dark horse mm. I think might be a good bet. Pascal Siakam. From most improved to most valuable. Yeah. It's happened before. Giannis did it. He's definitely taking the leap. I, I don't know if he has like the narrative push behind his, his rise here, but I think the fact that the Raptors are coming off that title, he is going to be in the public eye a lot, and they're going to be there in the like, late playoffs. Yeah. I mean, I think if the Raptors can maintain uh, their consistency through these injuries, I think Pascal is definitely in the mix. Okay. So here's the thing. This isn't just a thought experiment. This is for real. That's right. Right now, FanDuel is giving new users their first bet risk-free. That means you can place any bet, and FanDuel will refund you up to 500 bucks in site credit if you don't win. To claim your risk-free bet, just download the FanDuel Sportsbook app from the iOS App Store or visit fanduel.com android and be sure to use promo code RINGERNBA so they know we sent you. That's promo code RINGERNBA to get your first bet risk-free on FanDuel Sportsbook. Must be 21 plus and physically present in New Jersey, Pennsylvania, Indiana, or West Virginia. Applies to first wager only. First wager must be placed within seven days of sign-up. Max refund $500. Refund issued as non-withdrawable site credit and expires 14 days after receipt. Terms apply. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in West Virginia, visit 1-800-GAMBLER.net or in Indiana, call 1-800-9-WITH-IT. Today's episode of the Ringer NBA show is brought to you by Brilliant Earth. Create your own one-of-a-kind engagement ring from a variety of ethically sourced diamonds, gemstones, metal types, and settings with Brilliant Earth. Brilliant Earth has exclusive, unique designs you can't find anywhere else brought to life by master jewelers. They also offer wedding rings, earrings, bracelets, and necklaces. Brilliant Earth is also the global leader in ethically sourced fine jewelry. They offer beyond conflict-free diamonds along with fine jewelry crafted from recycled precious metals, and they donate 5% of the profits to help build a brighter future in communities impacted by the jewelry industry. To make your Brilliant Earth purchasing experience as stress-free as possible, they offer free shipping and returns on all orders. They also offer flexible payment options, including easy monthly payments from 0% APR financing. Order today for Christmas delivery and receive a surprise gift with the purchase of an engagement ring. To see terms for this special offer and to shop all Brilliant Earth selections, go to brilliantearth.com slash ringermba. That's brilliantearth.com slash ringermba. All right, Charks is here. Welcome, Jonathan. How are you? Hey, how you guys doing? We're doing good. We were just talking about Carmelo Anthony. I think that there is a little bit of like uh, Summer of the Shark with Carmelo. Like he, I don't he, get that reference. Yes, you do. <laughs> no, I don't. I'm, I'm not following either. Summer <laughs> of the Shark was the summer, and I, I'm not being weird. It was the summer before 9-11. And it was mm. like, there was nothing happening. So everybody got really interested in these shark attacks. And right. it was like, that was like the major story was like the, the sharks. Bobby, do you know about this? 
Absolutely not. I was like four in 2000. <laughs> we were all too young for this, Chris. You're showing your age here. I remember when shark shows became a I'm thing. I didn't know it was called. age shamed about this. <laughs> I didn't know they called it the summer of the shark. The summer before 9-11 <laughs> yeah. is, is remembered as the summer of the shark because it's like, can you believe that we cared about sharks before that? You know what I mean? And it was like one of those classic Augusts where there was just like the Little League World Series, nothing much happening, and then the shark attacks were happening and everybody's like, oh my God, sharks everywhere. This is the summer of the shark. This is what mellow is. Nobody, there's not, there's just like, we're having a little bit of a lull. We got, we got it. Luca's good. Understood. The Lakers are good. We got it. So there's a little bit of a lull. And then Carmelo comes along at the perfect time for everybody to be like, I have a million Carmelo thing pieces. So he's like the Meg, the movie. Uh, I see what you're trying to do. I'm going to give it to you. But Sharks, the reason why uh, I want to continue this, at the end of our Mellow discussion, Verrier and I were kind of talking about the turnover that happened on the Blazers over the course of this offseason. And a lot of the guys like who had been sort of veteran staples around that team, like Harkless and Aminu and Turner, regardless of what you think about their, um, their contributions to the team, they obviously provided a degree of continuity and now the Blazers, while they still have the same core and the same two stars, have like had to remix their depth, basically. And it was really interesting watching them earlier this week. They lost to uh, the Rockets 132-108. The Rockets just fucking stupendous, which I, I, they still make me want to like tear my eyeballs out watching them, but like they are pretty electric on offense. But they are also surrounding two stars with, yes, Capella, but even now without Gordon, who's hurt, it's just like a bunch of guys off the scrap heap. And I was curious for if you guys could talk to me a little bit about how you're feeling about like this idea that, you know, how do you build around stars? And whether or not, you know, like the, the Rockets made a choice to singularly focus on Harden, bring in Westbrook, but Harden is obviously the, the sun that everything revolves around there. Should the Blazers have made a similar decision about Dame or CJ and gotten a better team around them rather than keeping those two guys and just constantly having like every three years to rebuild the team around them? I think the first thing worth mentioning is that Houston's just better at this than Portland. Like when Daryl Morey's not causing like geopolitical disasters, <laughs> he's getting the G League and he's finding guys like Daniel House. Daniel House would be perfect in Portland. He's like a legitimate 3 and D player they've never had. And that was a guy that the Blazers could have signed, that anybody could have signed. And like, if you're going to build around two guards, you've got to be able to fill in the pieces. And I mean, I think that's the start of it, is that Maury is just a better GM than Olshay. I think the Rockets last year are a particularly good comp for the Blazers this year. Oh, okay. Where over the summer, the Rockets let Trevor Ariza walk. They let Luke Rashard and Mute walk. And they tried to make do with guys who just like were retreads. They made do with Mello specifically, yeah. Michael Carter Williams, some other guys. And they were just reliant on the fact that they had enough. They would figure it out eventually, uh, that they had the guts of a team that pushed the Warriors and and eventually they had they would be able to figure it out. Unfortunately, they ran to a situation where they needed to just get by. And it feels like the Blazers are in that situation now where they let Farouk go, they let Harkless go. And they were more focused on raising their ceiling when the floor has just bottomed out because they were just perilously thin at certain positions of need. Yeah. And so it really comes down to when do you make the push, I think. And like the Blazers, similar situation. They made the Western Conference Finals. Maybe they're feeling good about themselves. But I, I just don't know 
if a Rodney Hood was the right approach when it, it still seemed like last regular season, around this time last year, we weren't really sure if like what they were. Yeah, I mean, the Blazers are have... I tend to be streaky. I think like, you know, they've had like really good second halves of the season. So I'm not writing them off right now. But the group that they had last year, that was the third year of um, improvement from that team. I think they were like, I think they went like one, like 41, then they won 44, then they won 53 and got to the conference finals. That's the team that you, it feels like you want to try. If you're going to get rid of some of the core vets that are around that team, you probably want to bring in a star to replace them. And it just feels like this team, Hazonia, Scal, Tolliver, the weird white side trade, it, it feels like a team that was like coping with the chaos of the offseason and making deals just to make them. Well, it's funny Justin mentions Carmelo because like there's the difference right there. The Rockets had Carmelo, decided this is a terrible idea and went and got good players. Yeah. Whereas the Blazers needed good players and signed Carmelo. Yeah, I think another big distinction between the two teams, uh, because I think it's really interesting to, to juxtapose them, uh, the Blazers have also made a conscious effort to invest in youth. The past couple drafts, they've really tried to focus in on guys who would ultimately be able to grow with Damon CJ. Yeah. Zach Collins is the shining example of that, a guy that everyone is high on, especially on this podcast. Nazir Little is a guy they drafted. Anthony Simons, another guy who is yeah. playing significant minutes for them. And so that's the difference between them and the Rockets because the Rockets just kind of really wanted to maximize the window, whereas the Blazers, I think, because of their market and maybe because of just like, I don't know, situational things, they focused on the long term. It seems like they're much more worried about the the like the long road ahead. Right. Like they want long term sustainability rather than burning out to fade away. You right. know, right? right. Charks, uh do you think that Damon CJ is the is do you think that they should keep Damon CJ together? Or do you think that that's just this is what they are and that they're we shouldn't even be having this conversation? I mean, I did a thing last year where I said they should trade CJ for Aaron Gordon. And I still believe that. Yeah. Like, I still I do think that your two point guard teams, there's just a ceiling because two point guards, it's hard to like them both to be good at the same time. They're a little redundant, right? Because mm-hmm. Damon CJ aren't guarding anybody. They're not making each other better, really. They're playing my turn, your turn. And you saw it in Houston too. Like Houston brings in star point guards, and those guys become lesser versions of themselves. But they've got James Harden instead of Dame. So to me, yeah, I feel like any team whose best two players are point guards is going to be have an uphill battle against your LA, your Lakers, your Clippers, who've got you know six, seven, six, eight monsters. Uh, you guys want to talk about the Rockets for a second? Sure, because we're we're I'm so rude about them, so I feel like it, it. We might as well acknowledge what a heater they've been on. Uh, what are you seeing? We could vary if you want to jump in here. What do you, what's your grade on the, the Westbrook-Harden partnership and why is this working to the tune of, I think, eight in a row now, including a couple where they just absolutely teed off on people and just won by 23, 20, 24? I mean, at this point, it's kind of an incomplete. Mm-hmm. Or at the very least, the like the grading rubric feels like it, it's just like an exact because what I think is happening is Westbrook is kind of deferring to the Harden show. Right. It just feels like Westbrook is adapting finally to what is going on in Houston, which has always been built to maximize Harden's scoring potential. It just seems like Harden, even though he's less efficient than last year, is just like scoring at rates that we've never seen before since Wilt Chamberlain. And so uh, I guess... Westbrook said, don't normalize his greatness. Right. So I guess in that regard, it's going well. I still have the same like reservations about the fit. 
and if anything, I think perhaps they're even more like I'm more worried because like if Westbrook isn't going to be involved as more, then he has to be more of like a spot up shooter or play off of Harden. But it's working for now, and it's working because Harden has just been absolutely brilliant. Sharks, one thing I noticed, and it kind of goes back to the uh, the Rockets are just better at this than the Blazers. I think they're better at this than the Thunder, too. Because when you watch uh, Westbrook out there without Harden, they're spreading the floor. There's wide-open yeah. driving lanes. And even though Westbrook is shooting like pretty garbage numbers, it doesn't seem to matter. Uh, and he's getting to the rim with ease that I don't think he has in in several years. For sure. I think I haven't seen the numbers, but I know he's shooting a much higher percentage at the rim than he has in a long time. And yeah, just to go back to what Justin was saying, it's a lot like with Chris Paul. Like remember when they got Chris Paul and everyone's like, okay, how are Harden and Paul going to fit together? And it was like, they aren't. Yeah. Harden's doing whatever he wants and Paul's figuring it out. Same thing with Westbrook. Like Harden's the man, bro. Get your shots when you can. Otherwise, I'm doing my thing. Deal with it. Yeah, I think it's also helped that a guy like Capella, who we talked about pretty recently as like the third guy who needs to be engaged on that team, he's also playing well. And yeah. I, I even yeah. had, had the snide remark of like playing with Russell Westbrook is actually going to help Capella because he has so many more available rebounds. <laughs> <laughs> the Russie assist. Yeah, exactly. And yeah. But he seems more engaged and, and that's made a significant impact, I think. Yeah, I mean, they're, they're playing through this without Gordon uh, and... It's really hard to imagine this team being a playoff team for some reason. I, the defense has it hasn't really mattered that much. I guess if you're putting up, you know, the, I mean the they're co- they're guarding though. They've been guarding the last few weeks since they started off. So since that Miami game, basically, they started playing yeah. after that. John, do you have any? Are you out of words to describe what Harden's doing? I mean, give the man his props, right? He's breaking the game. He's scoring it well. He's like a six-five Will Chamberlain. I mean, what are you going to do? It's it's incredible. So does he now move into this like LeBron category where now we expect this level of greatness and our eyes wander? Because this is leading into, I think, our MVP debate, which uh, after 15 games, I bet is you know obviously premature. But because this season, I think, has been defined by some of the new faces that we have in the league, like Luka, like Giannis is not new, but I think Giannis has fully established himself as one of the two or three best players in the league, if not the best. You got guys like Trey, you know, uh, all these younger kids coming up. Towns is having a breakout year. But, you know, does that mean guys like LeBron and Harden just sort of like, we just accept their eye-watering greatness and then put them to the side because they're not the shiny new thing anymore? Yeah, I, I think the MVP discussion is shaping up to be particularly interesting. And it's interesting because it's so similar to last year. If Harden, if we're just assuming that Harden and Giannis are going to be one too, or at the very least going to be in that mix yet again, I think we're, we're kind of heading toward this moment where it's really going to force us to, A, have the same arguments about what value is and like, what it like what do we want from our mvp and also to interrogate like how much the narrative actually matters yeah. because Giannis was on the rise last year harden had just come off the mvp year and now it's switched and all of a sudden harden being better than last year seems like the more sexy narrative even though Giannis quietly has been better himself yeah well we were i mean why don't we do the mvp conversation now i mean i i want to talk about luka but let me ask this for starters I think there's a lot of mini debates within the MVP debate itself. So let's go through a couple of them just off the top of my head. Who's the MVP that's on the Lakers? Uh, 
I would have said Anthony Davis, and I think I might have as recently as last week. It seems like it's flipping a little bit. It seems like Davis has been dominant on the defensive end, but LeBron has taken more control over the offense. I think the interesting kind of thing it sets up is it's almost like a little mini Derrick Rose debate where the Lakers are winning on defense. Mm-hmm. And Davis is the focal point there. He's, I think he's leading the league in blocks. Uh, he's just completely warped uh, the court that way, and they've been dominant as a result. But LeBron is very much taking the reins a little bit more, and you're seeing it these days where he's just putting up like 30-point triple doubles. And so uh, it almost is like, what do you value more? Uh, LeBron is the emotional leader and the offensive focal point, or not focal point, but the guy who's like really doing a lot of the work, the guy who's initiating a lot of what's happening mm-hmm. out there versus Davis, who's really the source of why they're winning. No, Sharks, I'll tell you this. Like last night when I went and watched the game, Davis had a quiet like 34 or whatever it was. And he didn't even go to the line that much. It was like just pure like offensive wizardry. But I didn't really notice it. I noticed LeBron. I mean, I noticed like, I noticed LeBron because LeBron has that like, gravitational pull that like it happens on both ends of the court even if he's just hiding out on Darius Basley like he's just roaming around out there on defense and as soon as there's a turnover your eyes just immediately go to him but on offense he is orchestrating everything and the Lakers seem to have found a real chemistry among this group of players if you had to pick an MVP out of just the Lakers who would you pick John? I mean, to me, it's LeBron because it's still his team. He hasn't given Davis the keys to the offense. And to me, that's a bad thing. If I'm the Lakers, I don't want LeBron to be my MVP. I want my 26-year-old franchise big man to be my MVP. I want him to have the ball in his hands. I want him creating for others. Because that's what's going to matter in the playoffs. But to me, until LeBron... Because LeBron talked a big game in the offseason. Oh, it's going to be Davis's team. But I don't think he really bought into it. I think it's still LeBron's team. We're still living in the LeBron show, and he wants to be the man. And until they take a step back, I think the Lakers aren't going to be as good as they could be, honestly. Hmm. Yeah, I think it's interesting, especially to look at what Charks wrote about Anthony Davis going into the season. This idea that like, perhaps his fate lies as one of these bigger wings who seems to be dominating the league, and Davis would need to be the next like Kawhi, right? Mm-hmm. He would just have to be a, a giant version of him and really kind of dominate the ball in that regard. Uh it hasn't happened. And like, I think just from an aesthetics and like entertainment value, you gravitate toward the guy who is initiating things and really just attacking things. And Davis seems to be the end point still. And it's working. They're winning. It's just, I don't know if he'll ever get the credit in the MVP discussion that perhaps maybe he deserves. Okay. So that's, it seems like we've all kind of like landed on James as like at least the front runner and the latecomer to the MVP race in the Lakers. Who is the MVP in Los Angeles? I would still say LeBron. I mean, Kawhi's just not playing as often. I'm going to say it's Paul George's shoulder surgery. (laughs) Because, nice job, bro. You did it. Seriously. First of all, Paul George walking around being like, I have two new shoulders. (laughs) That's a strange way of putting it. It's like, where'd you get them? Did they come from RoboCop? Uh Because you look pretty good. Um, He's been pretty fantastic over the few nights he's played, and he still hasn't played a game with Kawhi Leonard. Uh, as Paul George has kind of returned and and it and, and is and has drawn all this attention, I think it's kind of like taken away from the Kawhi Leonard thing. Went from a pure rest thing to now like we're speculating on the jump as to whether or not his he looks unsteady on his knee. Well, he's been so hurt, I, right? I don't know. He's I mean, I think, last three games with the knee injury. So, 
No, I know. I, I'm not. I, I'm not like skeptical about that. I just think that like with Kawhi comes mystery. You know, with Kawhi become, comes the unknown of like, what are we doing here? Is this like is just just managing something that's that's chronic and that you're going to have all the time and you're going to play sixty games a year and then you're going to you know dominate the playoffs. In which case, that actually is going to question like the paradigm we have about what an MVP is and who the best player in the league is. If Kawhi Leonard wins the title with the Clippers and is becomes the, I think would be the first guy to win the title with three teams. I think that's right. And to that say nothing right. the best player, yeah. probably. Yeah. 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 I, I think you get into real questions about like, what do we, what do we kind of like, how do we evaluate the quote unquote best player in the league or the most valuable player in the league is the most valuable yeah, Chris, thing to do um, play seven. No, go ahead. I was saying, speaking on that, like I was looking at the last 20 years, the MVP has only won the title five times out of those 20 years. And I think it goes back to these conversations because it always comes back to, oh, who has the most help? Well, if I have less help, I'm the MVP. Well, congratulations. If you have less help, you're not getting a championship. Yeah. And then Kawhi's smart. He sees the big picture. Yeah. I I mean, I do think though that it swings like, right? Like there's sometimes there are narrative years like Westbrook in, in, in Oklahoma City. And sometimes there are years where it's just like best player, best team. What, whoever's the best player on the best team gets it. The best regular season team, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and Giannis completely made sense last year. 60-win team or whatever they were. Um, best player on that team, t- making the leap. It didn't seem to be much of a debate, even though Harden made a real push for it. Uh, so, okay, you guys aren't seeing any, either of the Clippers guys rising out and challenging J- James in this debate here. I mean, if it's a regular season award, it's tough because, I mean, the Clippers really messaged from the jump like where they were going to be, what was their priority by just like not even playing Paul George until recently. And yeah. Like they're sitting Kawhi for three games and even when they're on national TV, they don't even bother to like feed into that. Is he playing like, tonight against the Celtics? Uh, I haven't heard. Questionable, I think. Questionable. Um, so, who was the MVP coming out of the Western Conference then? Is it LeBron? Is it Harden? If we're saying specifically the Western Conference, I think it's still Harden. Like he's been, the efficiency is down, but he's been better than last year. I mean, he's going, he's pushing 40 points per game. He's at 39.2 right now. Uh, Like we were saying, these are just numbers that just don't often get pushed. And all of a sudden, we're just talking about him in comparison to Wilt Chamberlain. Mm -hmm. Like that's significant. We never do that. Charles? Yeah, to me, if it's not Harden, you're just hating at this point. Like I think. I mean, it's legitimately just hating. Like the man's getting his numbers. I yeah. I, uh, I it's not like he's doing something. I guess he is doing something this year that he wasn't because the numbers are even better. I think that uh, I've just like eventually. I've, I've just like kind of given up. I've given up being sort of like uh, like critiquing it, and and I've just acknowledged that I don't. I think you could surround him with literally like a YMCA team, and he would get forty five in an NBA game. It just seems. It seems like it, yeah. he's literally unstoppable, and is the perfect player for the specific rule set that we have right now in the NBA, and the specific style of play that we have right now in the NBA. Is he the MVP out of Texas? So you, for what, sure, Luke is doing the same thing as Harden, but less effective, in my opinion. What I think I hear you saying is that triple doubles are more important than just points. I'm just asking the question. <laughs> I'm, I'm, just, I'm just a lowly host. You guys are the talking heads. Do you want us to clear out? Do you want your hardened moment in order to talk about Luka Doncic? I just think it's funny. I, was, I went on desktop <laughs> and I did spice on this and I, I, it was not spice. Yeah. It was honestly, it was mayonnaise. It was just like, it was actually what I think. It was, I just think that like, 
we've ch- we apparently just forgot <laughs> the two years that NBA Twitter spent shitting on Westbrook for going for triple doubles. Uh-huh. And now, somehow, <laughs> it's like we've just discovered basketball reference. Mm. We've just discovered all these, like, how do you, like, judge these historical numbers? And people are freaking out about Doncic running these triple-double numbers up because of his age. Oh, nobody, nobody this young's ever done this except for Oscar Robertson. We had the same fucking tweets <laughs> two years ago. And it's just like, why, what, like, why was that somehow like borderline illegal? And now this Doncic thing is like, no one's ever seen this before. This is just, this is like the miracle of flight. The Wright brothers have just shown up. This is like <laughs> acting like the planes don't fly while standing in LAX. So what do you, am I wrong? Uh, no. Although I think the major caveat that perhaps we should consider is that we're not putting Luca at the forefront of this MVP discussion. Right now, we're saying Harden, Giannis, maybe even LeBron, and then Luca, because those teams we are. I think a lot of people aren't. I think a lot of people are like Luca's the MVP. Charks, are they saying that in Dallas? I mean, they're chanting at the games. I don't know that everyone expects MVPs this year. The I don't M- know. Maybe people are. I don't know. The MVP chant at at the free throw line needs to stop because we're at the point where like Devin Booker probably gets MVP chance. Like just, I mean, you got the dumbest shit. I guess, whatever. I'm sorry. Chris has just created this environment where I just want to attack things. Well, now. no, I think that the problem with it is, and this goes back to what we were saying in the beginning of the podcast about the environment in NBA games, is that the NBA needs more nuanced chanting. If <laughs> is that what they need? No, because in soccer and in, in, in European football matches, all these players have different songs. Like you sing, like there's like songs for like the midfielder who just like kind of does the dirty work. Like everybody has like these unique songs. They they like remix Joy Division songs and and sing about guys. And in the NBA, it's just like MVP, MVP. <laughs> they sing it for Montrezl Harrell. They sing it for it doesn't matter. Right. So we got to come up with more nuanced chants for different players. Maybe give some people in the stands like a sitar, like really experiment. Yeah, man. Solo George Harrison. <laughs> yeah, I remember watching the Maradona doc and like, even though this is probably the like the 30th thing that was interesting about the doc, <laughs> I was like, oh, they had a Maradona like song yeah. that they used to sing at the Devin game. Booker like, needs a song. Okay. Yeah. Maybe we should do that. I think that that's true though. I think that we are like, I think that because MVP is like, nobody's chance Back-to-back most improved at Pascal Siakam. <laughs> They're going to chant MVP. Bust some LAFC fans in there. <laughs> they got it down. That's true. We should the, the, Clippers, the Clippers need to get some kind of like unified fan behavior going on. Because it's, it's just, it's still not there, guys. They need to get some fans besides Isaac. <laughs> I, I will say, the game, the one game I have been to, it did seem a little bit different. It was against Utah on a Sunday uh-huh. so maybe people were just more available uh, I don't know but like that th- like Clippers fans work nights is that what you're saying like <laughs> well I mean it's not necessarily a football town so I wonder if like right. people are more likely to go on a Sunday but apparently it wasn't there for the thunder I had a friend even who was like yeah I went for nine dollars there was a goal. guy sitting baseline at the thunder game wearing a full Chris Paul thunder <laughs> uniform uniform and it wasn't Chris Paul and I, I'm not saying that that guy couldn't have done that with the Lakers game, but he couldn't have done that with the Lakers game. Uh, maybe they came together. Maybe it was like a package deal. He just, Oh, okay. 
So it's like if you go to NBA.com uh-huh. and you buy the full <laughs> uniform, you get baseline seats to well, at the Clippers game, yeah. <laughs> Sharks, okay, so it's either Harden or James in the Western Conference, right? Is there anyone in the Eastern Conference that you see rivaling those guys? I mean, to me, I feel like it's hard. It's going to be Harden versus Giannis again. It feels like those two guys, you look at the top teams, everybody else has that second co-star, basically. Whereas it's Harden and Giannis are just carrying two teams at the top of the league. And it feels like it's going to be the same thing all over again. Yeah, Giannis's performance since Middleton went down is like, okay, he's running. He's shooting threes now. Yeah. He's shooting threes. He's just marginally better. Like, And it's hard... Let's say this just continues where Harden is a little bit better and Giannis is a little bit better. Like, how do we just give Harden the MVP in this situation when we had this debate last year and we settled on Giannis? Like, there's I feel no- like it's close enough that you just give, the, give them both an MVP, right? That's fair. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, we've talked about this, whether or not there should be like kind of like a player of the year and an MVP. And I guess there is, like, there's, like, the Basketball Writers Association gives, like, a play, like player, right? Like, isn't there, like, uh, little awards? I don't think so. I think they give, like, the one who is most cooperative with, They like, should just come up with, scripts. like, a Heisman for NBA, where it's, like, we don't know what this means, but it's prestigious. Right, I guess the, it would be, like, MVP and then offensive and defensive player. It would be three awards. Yeah. Harden would always win offensive MVP, but when you factor in the defense, that's when Giannis really kind of takes over. Yeah, Giannis would be the MVP if that was the case. I wonder whether or not also like the fact that we're even talking about MVP 15 games in means that like our brains are broken and we don't really understand how to like watch an NBA season. I mean, we're definitely rushing to judgment. Do you know what I mean? Our Sharks? brains are definitely broken. I think that's fair to say. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm always like, is this like the NFLification of this league where we're trying to make it into these like massive narratives when in fact NBA is more of like a baseball style at like long marathon of a season? Sure. And so it's like we're just like cutting bait on the Blazers immediately where it's like the Blazers year after year have proven to us that they usually have like runs at some point in their season, but we're burying them. Yeah, I mean, this is what you get with an 82-game season. If you gave me 60 games, maybe I wouldn't be talking about the MVP in like November 20th. Right, but like because we want to have something definitive to say and we're not just like we don't want to spend every week being like, Devontae Graham, nice little (laughs) little game. I guess we could be talking about the Celtics, but like who wants to do that, right? (laughs) Sharks does. Sharks, do you want to talk about the Celtics? Hey, I got a big article today about them. Uh, Me and Bill out here watching the Celtics. You and Bill, that's it. I got to say, I found your article very convincing. Uh, They're legit, man. And the Tatum and Brown thing, you wrote really well about um, their ascendance being kind of chopped up a little bit. They hit a speed bump with the arrival of Kyrie and the, the, the Hayward stuff last year of trying to integrate Hayward back in the team. And now you you wrote about them and I you know you had a chart there where it's like Hayward and Brown have like an offensive rating that is what better than some of the best duos in the league, right? Yeah, basically when the, when Tatum and Brown are in the game, like Celtics just kill teams because they have these two six eight do everything wings. And it's funny, I was looking at the numbers. It wasn't even just Kyrie and Hayward. Terry Rozier had more touches than those guys last season. The whole thing was a complete mess. Like that team was a disaster. And this team almost by subtraction seems to make complete sense now. They brought in guys like, they have like Brad Wanamaker, they have Grant Williams. Like this team just makes more sense because all their role players accept their roles. And they say, okay, these two or three guys are the guys, everybody else is going to kind of play within themselves. Whereas last year you had Marcus Morris jacking shots, Terry Rozier jacking shots. It was all out of whack. Yeah, I am curious. I guess the one like little shred of doubt I have there is since Hayward has been down, the schedule has been a little soft. Like they get wins against the Suns, a team that, 
It's on the rise, but I'm not like fully into the idea that they are like a, a, they're a probably like playoff a fi- team. A f- like 500 or just below yeah, 500 that, team. Like I mean, they're way better than I think we thought they'd be. Right. They beat the Mavericks. I think the team is ultimately better with Hayward. And then the question is always like in the front court, like are, are they going to have enough against uh, like a, a Bucks or a Sixers? Those are still the two teams that I think they're going to have to go through. Or like even the Raptors, like the Raptors are are huge up front if they're going to keep Gasol and uh, Siakam as their front line. See, so what's your level of belief in Time Lord then? Let's talk Time Lord. Okay, Sharks. <laughs> Sharks. I'm being completely serious. How many centers are better than Time Lord right now? <laughs> I have to go to a list, but I'll tell you this. Not many centers have his tools. He's a crazy athlete. And think about Time Lord. He's a really good passer, which you would never expect. He's actually a really skilled, fairly smart basketball player. Like I think his ceiling is a lot higher. People forget he fell because of all his the dumb stuff. But in terms of talent, I had him right there with like Bamba and Wendell and all those guys last year. He was a lottery talent. That went 27 because of off the court things. And would you take him? Would you, if I offered you Wendell or Bamba or Time Lord now, who would you take? I, I think I would take Time Lord, honestly. Oh, oh wow. <laughs> who would you take? Sharks. Very, who would you take? <sighs> so it's Bamba, Carter, or Time Lord? This is the exact opposite of having the MVP race conversation. Is <laughs> <laughs> having a conversation about whether you want Wendell Carter Jr., Mo Bamba, or Robert Williams. <sighs> I mean, I'm out on Bamba, I think, for a little while until he shows he's better than Ken Birch. Uh, probably Carter. The thing with Time Lord is, like, he's only playing still, like, 10 minutes a night. Carter is the guy who I, I think Carter is, like, a, a the fact that Carter's not better or that, I don't know, I, it just feels like that's a pretty big indictment of what the Bulls are doing. Is that, like, you've got a guy who does everything, who wants to do everything right on a modern NBA team and is, like, just make me Al Horford, like, please. Mm-hmm. And somehow they're not, they're just not they're not doing that. They, the Bulls have found a way to like diminish all of their more recent draft yeah. picks that they've actually, I think they've hit on a few like Laurie Markkinen and Carter has potential, but like even Markkinen is just down. His scoring is down and just like, I don't know how he fits into a Zach Levine system. I think if Laurie Markkinen, I think Laurie Markkinen literally gets his name said because his name is cool. Like if, if his name <laughs> yeah. is Lawrence Martin, I just think people are like, ah, he's all right. I mean, he was pretty good his first two years until he got injured and then they started prioritizing the other guys. I guess you're right. Like, who are they prioritizing now? Levine? Levine. It's the Levine show. Let's get back to the Celtics for a second. <laughs> I liked what you were saying. It seems like the Celtics almost kind of correspond to the Rockets a little bit here and what we're saying about they're, they're playing so beautifully together right now, but you do wonder tactically whether or not they're built for the playoffs. Sharks, did you give that much thought when you were writing about the, the rise of Brown and Tatum this year? Yeah, I mean, I, I kind of mentioned the end of the piece what Justin said, right? There's these two seven-foot, you know, the Leviathans in the East, you know, Embiid and Giannis. I think if you're Boston, you might be waiting those guys out, right? If your best two players are 21 and 23, you've got a long runway ahead of you. Whereas, who knows how long those guys will be around in the East. Yeah, that's a great point. I do wonder, like, long-term, like, which team is best situated. I also wonder, let's throw the Raptors into that discussion. I think you should. I think if we're looking at those four teams as perhaps the, the biggest threats in the East, which one is built moving forward because the Sixers, as we mentioned up top. Do you think that there's only four? I think that the East is like flat out a five-team race right now. It's hard yeah, to be like... Yeah, Heat Mi- been for good. Yeah, it's hard to be like Miami is is just early like Heat. You well, know? if we're talking about windows, no Butler is 30. And so I do wonder like how much he, like how much longer he could be the focal point on offense. 
they do have some contracts coming up and maybe they can just get things uh, in there to augment him. And they have been good at unearthing these guys like a Kendrick Nunn, like a, uh, a Justice Winslow and really making the best out of them. But uh, it just seems like if we're going by just blue chippers and young guys, sure. like the Celtics just have just this wealth of them and they still have perhaps one of the best assets in the league in this Memphis Grizzlies first round pick. Oh yeah, it's true. I that's mean, the true. Sixers, we talked about it up top, like the the Ben Simmons Embiid thing. I, I I'll buy say- anybody's Sixers stock. I'm not worried. Okay. Wait, are, are you, you sure? Are you selling stock? I think that they will be better than they have been recently. I, I have too much confidence in the defense when all of them are there and, and everything is clicking. They have time to really figure that out. I just still think there's going to be the same issues in the playoffs where it's just the Ben and, and Joel thing butting heads. Sharks, what do yeah, you... And, and that too, like with the Philly... Who thought it was a good idea to bring in like a bunch of guys who can't shoot around Ben Simmons? Like, who's running that team right now? I worry about that long term. I worry about that long term too. I guess Giannis, if he stays with the Bucks, that is just. So are you talking like down the road? I'm now? saying like two, three years. Let's say three years from now, who's the most dominant team in the East? I would guess the Celtics, just because of how many young guys they have. Oh, I the long term future of these teams. Yeah, yeah I'm not. I, I the, the Celtics are annoyingly. You know, they have like a two-year plan and a five-year plan. I, I mean, like that's always been the kind of the most frustrating part with the Celtics is they just won't die since this <laughs> since they've accumulated all these guys. And even when they make a run like they did with the Kyrie thing, they somehow get out from under that unscathed. Right. You know, and they get Kemba Walker and they 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 seem to have not lost a step. In fact, they've gotten quicker. Right. And it also kind of turned on them last year where they probably thought too long-term and they, they invested too much in Kyrie and this meticulous building plan, and then all of a sudden, the one piece they needed to work didn't work. And we were just like, is this a Ponzi scheme? Because they keep kicking down the road when they're going to go all the way in. Charks, do you think that in the Eastern Conference, given the fact that it feels very wide open, but also that this is the, the year off people have from the Nets, because next season, the Nets will presumably oh, yeah. have Irving and Durant and would have to be considered among the favorites, I think, for the title. If Durant is even, like everybody says, even if you get 80% of Durant or 85% of Durant, like that Durant and Irving and that team has to be considered a favorite. So is this the year to go for it? If you're Miami, even if you're, even if you're the Sixers or the Celtics or even the Heat, or I mean, I mean, even the Raptors, who are still coming off of a title. Do you think about adding to your team to make a run this year? That's a good point. I think if I was Miami, I would for sure go for it. Because I think Milwaukee and Philly have holes. I don't think they're unbeatable at all. And if I'm Miami, Butler is the best he's ever going to be right now. So yeah, I'd probably go for it if I were them. I have a guy too I think they should trade for if I was Miami. Okay, who is it? Drew Holiday. Mm. I think he'd throw Jimmy Butler. I think they have the young piece to make a move. New Orleans hasn't been good this year. Maybe they think long-term around Zion. Maybe Drew's available. I think Drew and Jimmy could really lock up the perimeter against both Milwaukee and Philly. What does Miami have to trade for Holiday? Uh, Tyler Hero. Oh, <laughs> wow! <laughs> Wouldn't I he love fit that. well with the guys in New Orleans with like Zion and Ingram, Tyler Hero? That'd be a good, a good mix, I think. Young J.J. Redick? I'm saying with, with Zion, that's what you need. Charks, do you think the Pacers need to go all in now that they have Brogdon to build around? <laughs> well, they're, they're already all in. When you have Malcolm Brogdon, you don't need any other pieces. <laughs> this is when this podcast is just like... <laughs> <laughs> this is getting off the rails now. 
This is what we'll happens when I'm not looks here when he comes you guys back. start talking about Brogdon, right? Yeah, it's just a full <laughs> 50 minutes on Brogdon, yeah. Uh, are there any other Easter Conference teams that you think are should be really aggressive this season that I'm not thinking of? I mean, we've covered like seven. Yeah, I guess that's it. I mean, the Magic, just because they are kind of all in on this little mini window they've established here, but... I don't know. Like I, they're kind of hoping that their glut of bigs turns into some sort of lead guard because Fultz has been better, but clearly they need something on to, to like to organize. Yeah, what they right. Have. Right. I mean, there KOC mentioned in his uh, Spurs piece last week that there had been rumors about um, them looking at DeRozan, um, but and that that would be an interesting addition, I guess. Although it would certainly make them like it, it would it would pretty much petrify them as like this kind of like big man dinosaur team right mm-hmm. even though they had a bunch of kids right yeah it's 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 the spiting your no biting your nose to spite your face again. uh cutting off your nose to spite your face <laughs> fuck i thought i got it right this time <laughs> yes. summer of the shark barrier come on <laughs> um i think we can wrap it up there do you guys have anything else you wanted to hit this week no i don't have any more idioms i want to throw out there sharks I mean, I guess we'll we'll ta- table your Luca takes for later. I suppose. No, I mean, I did my Luca. I mean, I did my my Luca take is that is more about like the perception of Luca. It's not about what Luca's doing. Luca's like fucking must see TV. Like, I'm not, I'm I'm not an enemy. You know, I come in peace, but I come in fairness, and I just want us to be honest with ourselves. Right. Do you want to just? Do you want to give me like the one minute Luca, uh, him? Actually, I think I'm kind of on board with what you're saying. Yeah. Even though I'm a Dallas guy. And if I convince sharks, who can't I convince? I should run for public office. Yeah, let's, <laughs> let's wrap here. <laughs> <laughs> the Democratic candidacy, it's wide open. Maybe I should jump in. Would you vote for me? No, I wouldn't. Really? <laughs> no, yeah, I don't, I don't respect your platform. <laughs> <laughs> Wags, would you vote for me? So much Rogan energy in this room right now. Yeah, I know. It's really, we're getting a little Rogan. Of course I would vote for you. Thanks, Bobby. Sharks, thanks for joining us for Varier. I'm yeah. Chris Ryan. We'll be back next week, I would imagine. Mismatch, Tuesdays and Thursdays, Heat Check Monday, Group Chat on Wednesdays, Bill, three times a week. He has Snydemo on this week to talk about Luca. so definitely listen to that. All, all bullshit aside about Luca. Tons of stuff to read. Shout out Rob Mahoney. You joined The Ringer this week. Had a piece about Luca earlier in the week. Uh, a lot of great stuff on the site right now. So just check that out. And we will join you next week. Basketball is very good. Basketball is very good.